Hi, and welcome to Miss Fortune's Corner. Uh, I'm Taylor, one of the creators of this podcast series, and I'd like to take a moment to thank you, the listener, for being a part of this uh, experience. It's obviously the fact that you're listening to this makes it all worth it, so uh, I'd like to thank you for that. I'd also like to spend a moment to explain how things are going to work here at Miss Fortune's Corner. Uh, we We'll have a series of podcasts, for now two podcasts, that will be featured here on Miss Fortune's Corner. The first is the one that you're listening to right now, uh, Heads of House, where three DMs talk about the ins and outs of DMing as well as being players, and eventually, as we gain a listener base, things that you guys want to hear about. But for now, we have a prepared list, so we hope you enjoy. Uh, coming down the line is going to be a podcast following a campaign, uh, Edition to be Determined. Uh, we're bouncing between 3.5 and 5e at the moment, but we will let you know as that gets closer. Uh, but for now, just stay tuned, and we hope to entertain. Uh, and for the first of what I hope to be many times, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Misfortune's Corner. Uh, welcome to Heads of House. I am Taylor, and I will be your DM this evening. I'm Steve. I'm also a DM, but uh, just discussing with a couple of friends. And my name's Jaren. I also DM and play for quite a while, big part of my life, I've been playing, and it's a great game. I guess I'll start. Yeah. Um, I started playing in 2004, uh, so I've been playing for almost 15 years on and off. Um, I've had periods of my life where it just hasn't been as readily available as I would have liked, um, and I run one game currently, a 3-5 campaign, and I'm playing in two others. I've been playing D&D for 12 years now, going on 13. I was mainly a player, and then in the past year, year and a half, I DM'd my first 3.5 game, and now I'm DMing a 5th edition game for the first time as well. I've also played in 5th edition and majority of the time in 3.5. I have been playing since 2013. I, I only played a couple hours worth then, and then three years later I really did, I really started playing. So I've been playing for about four years. Uh, three of that I have been DMing, but I also play in handful of 3-5 campaigns as well as my first 5e campaign so and so yeah D Dungeons and Dragons is something we all have come to love as a passion which is why Taylor has invited us on to do this project with him because we've all enjoyed sitting around and discussing for probably too much time <laughs> late into the night or after games. After games, we, we just, <laughs> we'll just sit around and talk about different things about what's going on in our other games. Or That's not even included in our Discord time. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah <laughs> all of the chats we have going on in Discord. And <laughs> and so, <laughs> it's all good. It's all good and fun, though. Uh, I believe, so this week we've got lined up... Uh, our talking points uh, pre-game overview uh, and it looks like we have a couple of bullet points listed out on there but uh, our first one would be uh, player expectations and I'm I didn't put this one on the list but I'm assuming that's player expectations moving into a new game uh, that's kind of what I figured with it it's uh, setting the expectations for the campaign before the campaign giving them your humber rules and letting them know what is what material is and isn't allowed in the campaign 
things of that nature, just so that they have an idea coming in and what right. they need to research into their characters. Well, yeah, as well as the players giving us as a DM some of the things they would like to see, they would like to do, what types of you know, themes maybe they want to see throughout the campaign. Uh, a, a quick note I think important to clarify is uh, most of our talking points are going to be revolving around uh, how to how we believe to run a successful game. I, I think yeah. that's that's an accurate statement. Um, and so I guess for the first little bit until we get uh, listener input, we are kind of just going to explain our experience and our thoughts on running a a productive and interesting game and we hope to help any aspiring DMs out there as well as any players listening because uh, the game goes both ways, the sword cuts both ways, you can't have a good game without good players and a good game without a good DM So, uh, yeah it really requires everyone coming together to be in be a, like a cohesive unit be able to run a successful game because nothing is nothing feels worse than putting all the effort in to set up a game have a few sessions and then it just falls apart people start skipping and it's not their priority to come because I'm making it a priority as a DM to be there to do the work homework everything and then people just dissolve from the group well and it, it definitely kind of like hurts as a storyteller when you tell this story and just especially when the whole group isn't buying in but when a, when particular players don't buy in it, it's kind of like okay hey, what am I doing wrong why am I not uh, entertaining here yeah well and it also goes that goes both ways I mean players you got to put in your homework I mean if you're building a character for this story you want to be a part of the story and if you have something you want for your character, the best way to find out if it's allowed is just to reach out to your DM and say, hey, I have this idea. I want to take a dip of, into this as a multi-class. Are you going to be okay with that? And the DM will say, sure. Or if it's a specialized class, like, say, a wizard, he'll give you an option for finding a mentor or something like that within the campaign that you can make that happen. Well, it's just it goes back to the... Uh, mentality that if you don't ever ask you won't ever know exactly but uh, leading that in our, our first point is player expectations so player expectations moving into a campaign uh, I guess Jaron what do you think uh, what do you think players should be doing before a campaign to establish what they want so when I, when I go into a game as a player and I start looking at what type of class I want to make, the first thing I do is envision, you know, who he is, you know, what he looks like, you know, what, what's he's, what is he doing with his life? And you're like, okay, maybe this happens to him and as a result he, you know, does this or he has a near-death experience and he finds he has magical abilities and he's a sorcerer, you know. So you got to think of, like, what what are you trying to personify in this game? And then you run it by the DM, be like, hey, this is what I'm planning, here's my backstory. Because the backstory can help the DM so much. Oh, it, it's so And hard. so, as a player, I would also expect the DM to acknowledge that backstory and be able to incorporate certain elements of that backstory into it. That can help drive a story, and then it helps me as a player feel like the DM wants me at the table. Uh, I guess same question for Steve. Um, <clears throat> I feel like not only should a player be looking at their backstory and their character, they should be potentially planning for the future in the campaign. Um, looking at, say, you know, it's a, you start at first level, but look at maybe at eighth level you want to take a, a little bit of a turn to something else and kind of helping the DM prepare for that. Because as a DM, we can wing it, we can pull things out of thin air, but if you're not helping us find options for that, it makes it a lot harder for us to say, hey, you know, that's a cool idea, let's right. make it happen. Yeah, and I agree with that, planning ahead. 
And one thing that happened in the recent fifth edition campaign I was playing in, I was playing a bard rogue, a multi-class character. And I was getting close to the third level for rogue, for get the archetype, and I was going to do um, the Inquisitor, if I remember correctly. Because I was, I was setting up this whole underground criminal network. But then one of our party members, as a part of the story, um, betrayed us all. He sent us to Shadowfell. And then, you know, he brought in, the player brought in a new character. And he became a, you know, enemy NPC. And so then I went the assassin archetype. Because I wanted to hunt him down. So it was also planning ahead, but then also being like, okay, this happened. Maybe my character will go well, this I mean, route. I think that's a really good, brings up a really good point about player, player expectations for a campaign is, like... Oftentimes, players start a campaign with more or less a character map. And I think it's good mm-hmm. to have that map because it gives you some directionality and some yes, focus exactly. on the character. But at the same time, I think it's crucial to role-playing as well as uh, uh, char- personal character development, developing the character personally where you don't follow your plan to the letter because it's your plan. You kind of go into a game with the expectation that what happens in here might alter what I decide to do with the character. They might completely change course. Exactly. And what was in that 3.5 campaign, you two joined in to a little bit later, but previously they've been doing all this stuff and then all of a sudden they got a hold of a boat and they're like, we want to be pirates. I've never done anything with water mechanics or boat mechanics in a D&D game ever. And so I had to go through and read all this stuff. And, it, and it's pretty extensive in 3.5, and it's a little confusing. And so, But they wanted to go be pirates, and they ended up you know, acquiring a lot of ships and running their own pirate organization. And it was, it was all new to me as a DM, but the players wanted to go that route. They, you know, they took that turn into, let's be pirates. Well, and then the campaign took another turn when, yeah. when the two of us joined and it then became yeah. a landlocked yeah and then you, you guys started start building a town and it became a large village and all that stuff and you guys were like we don't want to go on the boats anymore well, and I, I think that kind of <laughs> I think that kind of transitions into our next point unless you guys have uh, something else but uh, uh, DM expectations as a DM I think that you enter a game with complete expectation for whatever you have planned yeah. to not happen. <laughs> right. And well, that's why I always have at least you know, a few pages of a document explaining what my world is. Because I only run homebrew stuff. I'm not... I'm almost intimidated by the um, modules because I almost feel like it's, almost, it's more work. Because you have to sit there and study through all that. You have, and you have to learn the module and mm-hmm. just know your world. Exactly. And so I'm creating this world, right? And I give them the expectations back. Okay, this is how you do character creation. This is how I do your HP every level. This is how you know, I do this, this. This is what isn't allowed. This is something I'm allowing that isn't raw or official content and stuff like that. It's, it's very important to be able to have that stuff lined out. And then that they have read that. Because I, I will expect them to have read that by the time we meet the first time. Well, and I, I think that that's fair. I think it's fair as a DM that if you take the time to prepare a pre-game uh, whatever, that the players read it. Because they're going to be participating in this world you've created. It's only fair that they read the rules. Well, and if they don't read the rules, they're not going to understand some of the things that you might have in there that are your homebrew rules that could be really amazing things. Like the campaign that I run, my 3-5 campaign, I gave all my players, which you both play in, uh, a bonded magical item that scales with your character. So as you level, it levels. If they hadn't read the document before, they wouldn't have understood, hey, I'm going to get this killer item Mm-hmm. That is going to be by the time I level twenty, a God Slayer item essentially. <laughs> well, it also takes away from the 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 time. It takes away time from the first session because then you have to sit there and explain it to them when you could have already been moving on to other things. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think that it's really important to 
know those things up front because if a player understands how the rules work, they know how to react to them. Uh, uh, Steve would know this. Uh, in my campaigns, I run a homebrew rule, uh, and I, I state it up front in most cases. You came into the campaign later, so you didn't get the upfront mm -hmm. explanation on this, but a homebrew rule that I run and that I expect players to know is critical fails in combat result in a attack of opportunity from the enemy. In, in my mind, it's you fumble, the enemy gets to take advantage of that. And I've, I've caught players off guard with it before because they don't, <laughs> yeah, they don't remember. <laughs> they don't remember, yeah. oh yeah, that's a rule. And yeah. they run into combat and they're like, oh, I failed, and it's no big deal. I'm like, actually, they just critted on you. <laughs> so, like, understanding DM rules, and I guess that kind of moves into a, our, our next point, but I, 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 I'm not sure if we're ready to move into that or not but no, I think uh, one of the things that I've done is I've taken one of the components from fifth edition the short rest and long rest concept and put it into my three five campaign because I think it it works and I think it's more beneficial to the players it allows them more time to play their characters more time to role play than sitting there worrying about crap when am I going to heal how am I going to heal right uh, I'd rather have a good flow to the campaign, good storytelling, and good party dynamic, rather than worrying about trivial little items. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And, there, you know, there's always certain elements that a DM is going to like, that, you know, they've learned from a different DM, or they've read somewhere, or they come up with it, you know, like, for my HP rolls, every time you level up, I, I roll the same hit die as the person rolling. And if you roll your con mod or lower like say for example you have a constitution modifier of 2 you roll 2 or lower you re-roll it and then I re-roll it too if I have the same rolls and then that person can choose my roll or his roll without knowing my roll so there's always that chance they get better HP or not mm -hmm. and it's I feel like it's certain things like that that can add different flavors or give the advantage because all of a sudden they can gain a little more hit points than well, they would have gotten. That's something, like that specifically is something that I thoroughly enjoyed in your campaign and I, I've not so much in my current 3-5 campaign because I just gave them max health I didn't want to deal with it oh, okay. <laughs> but, uh, but in one shots I've ran that's a rule that I've used and it's a rule that players seem to really enjoy and <clears throat> It's, I think it's things like that that really define or set DMs apart is little rules that set them apart. Um, I think before we move on to perhaps more of our homebrew explanations, uh, is there anything from our first two points of player expectations and DM expectations, are there any as bullet points that you would think would be like, if you had to give a DM or player's advice moving into a campaign, what would be, like, your top advice? I guess your top two points. Do you want to do the player or do you want to do the DM? <clears throat> um, I'll, I'll do, the I'll do player, yeah. Okay. Uh, as a player, um, top two things um, are, are both going to be the exact same point. Research and research. I mean, oh, if you don't point. know how your character plays, you're going to show up to the first session and you're going to spend the next five sessions trying to figure out mm -hmm. just the basics of your character. Take a couple of time. hours before you get into the session, read through the description of your race, read through the description of your class, and know the limitations of your character. Because if you don't know those things, I mean, I've watched... Um, many podcasts where the players don't know what their character can do and they spend time arguing with the DM and taking mm, away yeah. from the campaign. Yeah, and for the DM, you know, for expectations, I think one of them is be able to set clear expectations for your, for your uh, party that's with you. Know what they want, know what you want. You definitely need to know what you're doing. If you don't, you know, take time and research... And the second point would be 
you know, be prepared to invest a lot of time into it. It is a lot of work to run a campaign. You know, I, at work, because I, I carry around two booklets. One of them is for the current campaign I'm running, where I start writing and creating encounters. The other booklet is for ideas I'm throwing around, like custom classes I'm creating or, you know, uh, magic item ideas or, you know, all these different things. And so when all the, you know, I work at a school, and so when they're all in class, and I'm, I'm just a staff there, so I get to sit around with, in the classroom, and I just start to write stuff. And so, be, you know, you got to be able to be prepared to do, put in the time and to do what you need to do to create a successful campaign. Well, I think you both covered the points I wanted to on yeah. both ends. <laughs> like, in my mind, both as a player and a DM, there is nothing about the game that drives me more insane than when another player at the table cannot play their character. Oh yeah. And and so I think research and be prepared yeah. to play your character. And on the DM side of things, there is nothing more really I showed up for this than a DM going, Okay, uh, let me put something together real quick. It it just shows Kate Well, well obviously yeah. if it if it has Well playing being the DM for you guys, <laughs> I had to do well, that well, all well, the well, time. Well, and, when players surprise you, though, yeah, that, that was, that's just part of the like 90% of the but, games with you guys, I was <laughs> having to come up, up with crap. When you show up to a game, oh, yeah. like you're there at the start, and at the very start of a game, the DM doesn't know what they're doing that day, that's kind of like, yeah. hey, I took the time to research where my character's going. Oh, yeah. You didn't take the time to plan out whatever was going on. And for me, that's horrible to see a DM do. Obviously, uh, improvisation <laughs> it happens as a DM because yeah. players throw a curveball at you. They, Frequently. They drop an elemental on your endgame boss. <laughs> but... Yep. With thousands and tens of thousands of worth of damage. And uh, I calculated it was uh, over 3 million points of oh, damage. that's right. Yeah, from the crushing... Damage. And so, like, there, there are obviously <laughs> some things you can't plan for, but I think going in, you, you mm. had the encounter planned, yeah. and that's what players look for. They yeah. want to know that you have a plan, not you're making it up as we go. And so I think exactly the overall for expectations is just research, know what you're doing. Yeah. Well, okay, I actually have one more point as a, for DM expectations is being able to explain what type of story you're running right some some dms really you know do well with voice acting you know i was talking to a guy uh, i i am horrible at it but i was at a game store and i was talking to this other guy who has started chartering his services you know in, in game shops where people pay him to come dm and we were talking about you know how different our two dm styles are where his is very rpg you know voice acting story driven and mine's more adventure you know hard combats to put your lives in peril and use that to drive the stories yeah. and and so there's two huge contrasts that you can come and then you know obviously there's crossover and stuff but some dms always lean to one side or the other a little bit more well and i'd like to tack on like a little sub note on that i think it's important for the dm to clearly explain to the players what not not their DM style, but what style of campaign it's right. going to be. Because I think a lot of people don't realize there are different styles of campaign. Mm -hmm. There's uh, what I would call a chapter mm -hmm. uh, campaign, where the DM has a story written out, and you're going through it chapter by chapter, and while the players can more or less do what they want, they're really just playing characters in this story. Uh, then you have open world uh, yeah. campaigns where you can go and do what you want and the DM just adapts and... Yeah, which is what I tend to fancy. And there's there's always things going around in the background. You know, if you don't go pursue that bad guy, he's still doing bad things and you may cross him in the future and you could have raised a city. But, but it's... But there's a stark difference between how the campaign operates. Exactly. A story campaign like the... the uh, you might choose to go and do this, but you're not going to move on in the world until you complete yeah. 
objective, whereas in like an open world, mm-hmm. you could completely ignore the objective. And there's going to be another objective time, somewhere else. You'll find a different objective yeah, somewhere, exactly. and you'll never even come back to the objective. And so I think it's important for DMs to explain what style of story they're going to be telling. That way, players know how to interact with the story. Right. Uh, and I think that. <clears throat> For me, I think that wraps. And I think that well, yeah, but I also think that's why your character, my character, and Seth's character in the game work really well we'll in Steve's really campaign, well in campaign because we're basically the golden children of oh, <laughs> that campaign. Oh, well, our, our characters are more focused on the goals of the campaign rather mm-hmm. than doing what our characters want. We've aligned our characters' desires with mm-hmm. the campaign objective. And so then that also makes it easier for Steve over here to I can throw fish run. hooks and say, hey, this little boy needs help finding his sister. The children yeah. are being kidnapped at three, at three adventures, weapons already out. <laughs> yeah, because we're all... Where are they? We're all like goody, good, good. Characters to a certain well, extent. Even if we're not we're, goody good, it's, we're just going to fight we're evil out for the greater good, or yeah. the sense of greater good. Mm. And I think having that, <laughs> having that um, forethought of okay, is this story driven or open world, yeah. definitely allows players to decide how they're going to react to hooks. Yeah. Well, and as a DM, if you're playing a story driven campaign. You really have to know your characters. You have to know their quirks and what will get them to do something. Um, You know, some characters are driven by greed. You throw 10,000 gold in front of them, they're going to be like, holy shit, I'm going. I'll do anything. Yeah. Well, well, and I think that that kind of ties into like... like, brothel for that. If you know that a a character is this way, nothing the... The player characters do could influence that. Yep. It, like no matter how charismatic or convincing a par- player is, they're not con- going to convince the NPC that has this deep-seated hatred of elves. They're not going to convince them to suddenly go trapezing off with an elf caravan. Yeah. So knowing your characters in a story-driven is definitely important. Yes. But um, uh, homebrew explanations uh, I think we've kind of covered a little bit of this just explaining homebrew rules and I think importantly yeah. why that rule is there not just that it's there but why it's there yeah, and I think you also have to be able to explain why and how it fits and works with the official rules and or what it's replacing and you gotta be able to, you know, explain all that stuff. Yeah, and sometimes if you're gonna homebrew something and you get this just wild hair and you think of something in the middle of the campaign and you say, you know what, this would be a really cool idea. Don't just drop it on your players and say, guess what, this is a new rule. Say, hey, this is something that came to me. I think it's a really cool concept. What do you guys think? Get mm-hmm. their opinions on how it's going to affect gameplay, their characters, so on and so forth, so that you're not really disrupting the campaign, but making it a more enjoyable experience for everyone. Well, and I think that it's at that, like, if you come up with rules mid-campaign, like, and, and I try to do this in uh, end of days, but, like, if I come up with a rule, I run it past the group. I'm like, hey, what does everybody think about this? And then usually I give it a trial period. I'm yeah. kind of like, hey, we're going to play this for a week or two. Mm-hmm see how it goes, but if it ultimately doesn't work, we'll drop it. But I think definitely seeing what your players think about something is important when it comes to introducing homebrew rules, unless, of course, it's like your steadfast opening rules. Opening rules, it's the player's job to deal with that, unless the player's feel like a rule is unfair. Yeah, and I still think it should be up to the DM to make sure that those rules are fair and they don't detract from gameplay. And that they're explained properly. Because while it makes sense to me, it could be a little bit more difficult to understand (laughs) for one of the players. (laughs) Uh, I do think it is really important, though, to, kind of like you said, how it interacts with 
uh, rules is written because some rules, uh, like uh, thinking of an example, I, for the listeners, I'm extraordinarily new to 5e, so I'm sorry, but most of my examples are going to be 3-5, but... Uh, I think a good one's grapple. It's a little confusing, even for the season 3.5 player. Yeah, I, I've never, I, I've, I've honestly never played a character that excessively uses grapple, so it's not a rule I'm, I, I'm familiar with. It's a, a, it's I, a long, there's like eight different steps to yeah, it. Yeah, uh, I seriously, I saw a meme about this today, and it showed mm. two books side by side. One that's like eight inches thick, and one that's just barely like six pages. Yeah. And it's 3.5 grapple versus any other (laughs) systems grapple well and like grapple it's it's a it's a complex uh rule but like a rule that i've that i've personally changed in my campaigns was uh um uh, carrying capacity for me nothing is more annoying to me than keeping track of details that don't need to be kept track of. <laughs> and so... Uh, you just a get game, a bag of holding, dude. Well, a bag of holding. But I, I, I've more or less dropped series of rules yeah. for, even for bags of holding. Like, for me, it's like, hey, if I, as a DM, think logically your character would be able to carry whatever they're carrying, go for it. If logically I think that the bag of holding could hold what you have in it, go for it. But if you're going to try and shove a... uh, um, I'm forgetting the name of the creature. uh, But basically, if you're trying to shove a hell giant in a bag of holding, I'm going to tell you no. Right. Well, it'll die. Well, well, even even Obviously, but yes. Sorry, if you're trying to shove a hell giant corpse yeah. into this bag of holding, I'm going to tell you no. Losing. And while my ba- and while my uh, homebrew rules aren't keeping track of things like material components or mm-hmm. carrying capacity or weapon hardness right. or weapon hit points. Yeah. Right. I, I still expect you to follow rules of you're not going to use your longsword to pry open the steel door. Yeah, it has a good chance of breaking. And and so, like, my homebrew rules on that are, like, hey, I'm not going to follow all these little nitty-gritty things, but there's a chance that you're not going to be able to carry it, or this and that. And I think explaining how those rules interact or cover the rules is written. We were just, you know, we were in the Discord just today we were talking about well, the evasion rules in 3.5 and as, as well as in 5th edition it carries over where you know a save isn't scotch free if it if you have like improved evasion or anything it's minimum damage yeah, so you're still 10d6 standing is in the middle of a, a fireball explosion. yeah so 10d6 you take 10 damage 10 one die rolls well and I've, I've heard specifically on evasion I've heard arguments on both sides uh, for evasion saying uh, when you use evasion it's not you running out of the area or dodging it's you like ducking behind some form of cover but then my thought on that is okay what if you're in a room just like a a bare room and you're in the middle of the room like you're not gonna suddenly dive into uh, a pocket in the ground and avoid all the damage and so I think there are gaps in the rules, especially in three five, mm-hmm. where there's room for a DM to say, "Okay, you know what? This really doesn't make sense to me, so we're going to do this." But at the same time, it's like, "Okay, a player chose this class because of these features, and unless I state up front that this is how this ability mm-hmm. is going to function, it's not really fair as a DM to go." Okay. Okay, you know what? We're changing this now that we're a couple levels in because yeah. I don't like how it works. Well, and now it when it starts to become relevant. I mean, to an extent, you know, the first few levels, you're not going to encounter area of effect spells. You're not going to be getting hit by fireballs. You're not going to be 
catching cloud kill spells. Well, and if you are, yeah, either the DM or the players are doing something very wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the DM just the, wants to quit DMing. That, or he's picking the fight with the wrong people. Because yeah. <laughs> I think we all know a player that has picked fights with wrong people. Well, uh, for me, it's... Uh, um, for me, it's Fen. Fen mm. picks fights with the wrong people. Yeah. But he gets away with it because he's a charming individual. Well, that's why I feel like my character in Steve's campaign is going to be getting closer and closer to doing that kind of stuff as he gets, you know, a little bit more brazen in his personality. And, you know, he's a paladin and he's out to just enact justice on everybody. And then he got, you know, one hit and he was almost dead well, like, like negative to almost where you die score yeah. well and knowing how uh, <laughs> knowing who you base uh, Roran on yep yeah it though it, it completely fits that yeah. arrogance that yeah, you, pride because you, know, you know uh, Escanor from the but Seven Deadly Sands you want to be very yeah. arrogant and why would I be scared of you you should well, be scared of me why, my, why, why would I hate someone who's obviously weaker than myself well, exactly <laughs> and the way I see it I actually like Roran's character because he's one of the easiest to bait <laughs> I know, throw, right? Any kind of injustice, just, just a, any kind of evil, you say goblins are terrorizing this village. He's like, let's go. And he is the first one running out the door with his sword drawn mm-hmm. to go and kill goblins. It's literally a hook without any oh, worms yeah. on it, any bait. <laughs> it's just, it's like a piece of bread on the end of a yeah, line and you're just, drawing it in front of a seagull. Well, oh, honestly, with Roar, it's you throw <laughs> a hook out there and there's nothing on it. Yeah. Roar just goes, and he's oh, like, look, a hook. He's like, I smell evil. <laughs> Let's go. That's <laughs> Kagrog. Not so much anymore, but he used to get the party in so much trouble. Uh, I would throw flavor text into the into the description of the scenery, and he would attack it. He would attack the flavor text, which I knew what the flavor text was, but they didn't. And they, as a level eight party they ended up fighting a frost worm <laughs> mm, yeah that's fun and, and so like the, every campaign has a player that gets the party into trouble to some degree it was Briggs in your campaign it, it yeah. was his need to constantly be the first one in the, to fight the biggest yeah. Yeah. thing he just there. wanted to fight where I felt like right Malvin thing. came in and was almost just kinda... trying to be the babysitter well, well there's also always that character in your world too and sometimes they can be a little controlling and I really don't like playing with those people because I don't want them to tell me how to play my character exactly and it's like you don't tell me how to play my character I don't tell you how to play your character you're not my mom well and I think it's important (laughs) to note a difference and I guess we're probably getting onto other points but whatever (laughs) yeah um, is that there's a difference there's, it's important to be able to to discern the difference between a player trying to tell you what to do and a character telling you what to do. Because I definitely have characters that are very much like, okay, you idiot, stop doing that or I'm going to stop healing you. Yeah. Whereas me as a person, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, what you're doing annoys the hell out of me. But it's your character. Do what you want. Exactly. Eventually, my character will probably stop healing you, and then it's <laughs> your issue. Well, yeah. And I've had situations. My my first real experience with Five E was a campaign that I dropped after three sessions. The players didn't know their characters. The DM didn't know their characters. The DM had played maybe ten sessions total, and his entire ruling when anybody said, "Hey, you know." Uh, this is what the book says on this, was, doesn't matter, I'm the DM. But he never mm. set down the expectations of anything homebrew before. Yeah, and it well, and it ruined it for you. You yeah. you dropped it. And yeah. so you were like, I don't want to play in here anymore. And then you you formed your own group and asked me to DM that one. <laughs> well, I think that brings us back to the point we were talking yeah. about, where <laughs> it's important to define these rules, and especially especially players and DM, while the DM more or less is god of the world, 
it doesn't give them free reign to steamroll players right. for any yeah, reason. It's like you got to realize the limitations and put them on yourself and hold yourself to them. Maybe that character did annoy you. He's going to know if you're targeting him, though, and you're going to ruin the experience for him. And well, if it's that bad, you know, have, have a real talk with him instead of being petty. Well, you know, yeah. and even even on that though, kind of sidelining and targeting, and I just have a bullet point on that. Um, there's a character in the campaign I run. He knows, like 100%. I, I've straight up told him I I'm gunning for his character. But the thing is, I don't focus. <laughs> it's the whole character at this point. It's not just the raptor. It's the entire character. No. <laughs> but but he knows. That while I'm gunning for him, I'm not singling him out. Yeah, and exactly. And I, I think Steve can attest to that. I don't target any one individual in combat. This player knows I, I'm trying to kill him, but I'm not. Hmm. I'm not, He's not going out of my way to yeah, do. And that's where as a DM you want to play the monsters or enemies as intelligent as they actually are. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so I think the. And that's my pull on it. Like, I think targeting is okay, but as long as you're not... Yes, I agree. ...singling that player out. Yeah. Uh, just to throw a situation out there, you run into a chamber with uh, a wizard. Your character, a character, says something that sets the wizard off. The wizard has a golem behind him, and he says, crush that character because you just set off the wizard. That's not singling someone out that's just targeting based on the situation the actions yeah it, you know the situation the actions where if they hadn't have said that they then uh, Golem wouldn't be sent to attack them and, and, and I think that that's a good marker is that while a if, if a certain character drives a DM insane and they can go through several levels of the campaign and that character not be dead I, I think that shows anyone, especially people who think that their DM's targeting them, the fact that their character's right. alive uh -huh. means that the DM doesn't have that out for yeah. them. Yeah, he's not singling but, anyone out. Sorry, I, I kind of detract, no, sidetracked there. Um, what, we got sidetracked? No. No, 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 no. We, we never we were, did sidetracked it. Never, not even when we played D&D. &D. Not, not even yeah. that. Um, all right, so I, all right. I think that that's all I have yeah. for uh, homebrew interactions. It's a pretty yeah. simple concept. Just explain up front your changes to rules as written, and make sure yeah. they understand. Yeah, yeah. And, and and perhaps open it up to the table to determine mm -hmm. whether or not they all agree to those rules. Because at least at my table, there are some rules I'm like, not a chance that is happening. Don't care what you yeah, think about it. Generally, but there are other rules that I'm like, okay, you know what? If the table in general does not like this, yeah. Oh, like my campaign homebrew, I gave everybody a horse and a couple of potions to start, and I mean, I didn't like that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just sent. I'm just kidding. Suffered a hemorrhage and is dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but well, exactly, and and for me, when I go into a game, and if if I know the homebrew rules are set up before I create my character, even if I'm they're not my favorite or I don't like some of them, I will accept them because they are laid out like that. Mm -hmm. Well, occasionally I'll suggest an alternative, like uh, I suggested right. uh, uh, crit ones do attacks of opportunity to you. Yeah. And it hasn't come up yet because, honestly, our, the players are really good in combat. It's it's classic case of it's a bumbling circus until we're combat and then we're a death squad. <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm starting an order of knights. We're very serious people. We <laughs> we we are very big big time zealots. Yeah. We. We don't mess around. <laughs> well, we just you just run around you screaming just, praise the I'm, sun. Yeah, I'm that's actually, my that's my cousin. <laughs> I'm really me. looking forward to the night order personally. I think this is going to be a lot of fun for me as the DM to be able yeah. to say you have all these knights. Well, guess what? You now have an order in opposition to this, right. which yeah. already exists. Right. Roran's character is very familiar with it. As well, a also, as his village. I also like 
as a DM when I see people do stuff like that because it shows that they are investing in their character, they are showing creativity, and they are wanting to progress in the storyline. Oh, yeah. And as the DM, you're like, this is sweet. This gives me tons to go on. I mean, I can build three or four separate story arcs just off of this one thing. Right. Um... Okay, next one, I guess. Uh, next one, uh, character creation. I, I think that it, we, we've slightly covered some of this, but I think that character creation is probably the most, um, uh, I would say, conflicting. Yeah, I think it can be a little bit of a heated a moment. Player and yeah. DM. Like you can um, get some heated moments because. Maybe they want to do something, and you say no. And so they want to do that, and you say no. Well, but they want to do it, you know. And they, and they want to do it. And our, our first little sub-point on that, I think, covers this, is material yeah. exclusion. That's when you say no to certain I, things. I think up front, included in your homebrew explanations, is where you say, this material is not allowed. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I can throw out a great example from my campaign. I excluded summoners. And I excluded psionics. And that was set up before anybody even decided their characters. It was in mm-hmm. the document. That, that, that I was set that up before wrong. anyone. That was set up before the campaign was even made available to any yes. of us. Yeah, exactly. Well, in, in my 5e campaign, I set up, you know, only published material, official. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the girl in the group, she asked me, can I play the unearthed arcana ranger? I looked at it and I said, Yes. Because I was interested to see how play it. And then I also allow this version of a shaman I found that I think works really well. It's very balanced and it's very effective. And so, and I was like, these are, these, these are the two exceptions. Well, you also made an exception for my character. You said only good aligned characters. And oh, I explained right. based on my backstory how I wanted to take a character who came from an evil background but uh, through making a pact with the Celestial, right. wanted to better himself and yeah, exactly. uh, progress towards a better alignment. And you came to me and asked me instead of saying, this is doing I'm this. doing this, this is how I'm going to do it, and yeah. then and we and have I to get an argument. That is a key friction point in character creation between players and a DM, is when a player creates their character yeah. just way ahead of time, sets it on the table and says, this is my character, this is their backstory, they've accomplished all of these things, and they're, they do this and they do that and they have this, and they, they basically eliminate the DM's uh, not only responsibility, but right to say no. Well, and somehow they have three 18s in their roll scores. <laughs> well, and, 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 that, yeah. and that's one of my things. I, I just rolled up a new character just like two hours ago. I'm, I'm not even kidding. Like two hours ago, I rolled up a new character for the 5e campaign I'm playing. And I learned to play 5e, but then I came across a class that I didn't know existed. And I was like, hey, and I, I approached the DM, I'm like, hey, would it be all right, since we haven't really started the campaign quite yet, to switch out these characters? And so I rolled up a new character, and before I just used the standard array, which mm-hmm. personally, if you're starting a level one campaign, my personal opinion is use the standard array. Like, don't, don't roll for stats, or use a... Or use a Point by, yeah. Um, it is... As great as rolling for stats can be, I believe in character creation, it creates a, a power gap rift between the players because you have some players that roll really well, you have some players that roll really badly, and then, of course, you often get the players that rolled. Yeah, yeah nice, yeah, air quotations there. And their lowest scores of 15. Right. And... And so, but, I mean, right before we started recording, we were talking about the differences between 3.5 and 5th edition, where we were saying, you know, a lot of the stuff is a little bit lower in 5th edition, and a little bit more streamlined, and a little bit simpler, and so, it makes sense for 5th edition to start with standard array, 
because then that would put you at a point where that stuff will be a little bit more challenging in that world yeah standard array is great it's a good mm -hmm. array of scores for a Mm -hmm. first level character and and it and it fits more into what a first level player would actually be um but for this character I rolled up, I, I rolled for it because in the two uh, pre-game sessions that we ran mm-hmm. uh, as the group, I quickly realized I was the only person in the group that chose the standard array. Everyone oh. else rolled for their <laughs> scores because I quickly realized everyone has higher modifiers than me. Yeah. And so I, I rolled for these and uh, something that as a DM, I expect from my players, and I found a lot of DMs don't expect this, and that's why you get a lot of these I roll to these scores uh, players, is I like when rolling scores that my players roll in front of me. Yeah. Yes, and I think you know, that's how I feel with HP rolls, with my rollings, mm-hmm. and then you know scores. And if you roll two 20s in a roll, and 3.5, you know, generally three 20s in a row is insta kill because you have to confirm your crit on like fifth edition where it's just on that crit and so that third 20 it better be i didn't know that it was an auto crit yeah so yeah yeah, so 3.5 you you roll a 20 you hit but you roll again to confirm it so you have to do this yeah yeah so 20 it's auto crit just you just create no no confirmations and so that third 20 if it comes it has a few times you're rolling on the table in front of everybody, stuff like that. Well, the thing to, that I've, I found is certain weapons, they crit on uh, a larger... Scale. Yeah, the, the potential crits and stuff. So my, I, run a, I run the same campaign I run for you guys. I run kind of loosely for my kids. My daughter is an elven fighter, but she uses a bow. Right. She rolled three 19s in a row on her bow. Yeah. And it's still three crits in a row, so it was an instant kill on a boss. See, and, and, I, and I think as far as, like, crits... 3.5? Yeah. Yeah, Well, I right. think as far as crits go, that, that, how that works is up to the DM. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, it, it, the way that I would run that is three twenties. that's an instant kill. Right, because the but, odds of that are But if you roll so within low. your crit threat range... The option for an instant kill isn't no isn't in there. It's it's just a critical. It's hit. just it's just a chance for a crit, because the the range kind of especially if they have keen or if they have critical keen or something and so they're running like a sixteen to twenty. Yeah. Well, because like I have I play a rogue who has the keen on his mm-hmm. thing. This guy's built to just deal crap tons of damage up front, and he's built with the Keenan uh, enchantment on a rapier. So I'm dealing crits on a crit threat on a 15 to 20. Right. I have a 25-ish percent chance of critting. Yeah. Which on a rapier, it's a triple damage. So it's Yeah, it's insane. nice. Or if you get the scythe to large yeah. range, it's quadruple it's damage. damage. Yeah, that times four hits well, hard. Although the scythe only has the 20 unless you have the Keen on it. Right, but and... But a little detracting there again, but um, Mm. sorry, listeners, we uh, we're scatterbrained. But um, but I I think when you're rolling four scores, if you're rolling, that is done in front of a DM. Absolutely. And if you don't roll in front of a DM, like today, I rolled my scores, and my DM obviously wasn't there two hours ago, but uh, but what I did was I rolled my scores. I wrote them down, and rather than automatically applying them to the character, I took a picture of the scores, sent them to the DM, and said, I rolled these scores up. Are these okay, or would you prefer that I re-roll or roll in front of you? And, you know, that's a very appropriate thing to do for the DM. Well, my campaign, I, I like the idea of rolling, but I wanted to jump in. I, I mean, I had a ton of material written, mm-hmm. so for, we didn't do a session zero, we just did session one, and I expected everyone to have their character ready, to have everything, and I did a point by system. So rather than having to roll, mm-hmm. everyone had the same 
amount of modifiers unless they had, like you as a human, no pluses or minuses, but even then you've... That's still well, pretty well, good. Well, varying plus or minuses from various races. Yeah, so... But we I'm all have the good. same base modifiers. modifiers. And, well, maybe not the same. We still have the same totals yes. here and there. Um, but I, I think, personally, I prefer point by or a standard array. Maybe not, yeah. not, maybe not the D&D standard array, no. but some form of standard array, because yes. then it... It puts the players in the position where there isn't a power gap because I think there's nothing. Well, there's there's a lot of frustrating things, but <laughs> it's frustrating as a player when you sit down at a table, and you rolled the absolute worst. And while you might have a strong class, you might have a tier one class, but your scorers are making you yeah. the member of the party that everyone has to watch out for. So, for I was teaching some of my teammates how to play. We formed a group on the team. And um, I saw them all roll theirs. And one of them actually rolled three 18s. Was, like, it was legit. I watched it. I was a witness. And I was like, I was a DM. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness. And he's playing a druid. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Here we go. Here's, it's the beginning of the end. And so... And, you know, stuff like that can happen. But I do agree with the point-by system that Steve implemented and what Taylor said where, you know, I do want more of an emphasis on this one stat than others. And so if I roll, I might not have that same emphasis on that stat. Well, you might not have the same emphasis, but, like, for me, and I'm, this is speaking both from player and DM point, point of view, is from a DM point of view, it, it's almost heartbreaking of sorts, when you see a player that rolled badly, that is struggling to function in a campaign, whereas yeah. you have players that rolled really well that are occupying most of the screen time, so to speak. And well, you can see the fun being sucked out of it as well because they realize I, I'm not going to be doing anything well, good for the party. Inf- they can't influence the story as much as other players can and so they start taking a back seat mm-hmm. and they start losing interest and so I think point by our standard arrays are a preferable system in character creation because it ensures that all of the players start on a level playing field yeah um, yeah and and you know well like you said sometimes one of the party members takes a screen time and one doesn't and I think as a DM you you want party to be able to function as a party yeah. that you know that's an expectation well, you can you have want them to be able to function as a party or as a team not as an NBA team yeah exactly yeah. and so you know each person might have a role or you know they double team a role and you want them to be able to accomplish the task even if they are challenging and if one of them dies they die just you know sometimes it's just pure chance of the role but you want them to be a party and you want them to have a good time together. <clears throat> um, circling back to material exclusion, um, I think as long as you state up front before the campaign starts that this material is not allowed, I think that's perfectly fine. I think excluding material mid-game is, uh, for lack of a better term, I think as a DM it's a dick move. I think that excluding material because you found it's annoying to you is an unfair way of DMing. And so I think it's important for you as a DM to, before it starts, go over available material and go, okay, you know what, I really don't like this personally because of how it interacts things or I don't like this because it doesn't fit into the world or the story that I'm creating yes um, I will give out one situation where I had to change something uh, that a player was doing because it, it really it was just overpowered we had uh, a character who was using material that was 3.0 material which um, I don't believe I said it wasn't a bit allowed it wasn't three, allowed, but I think at the same time, as players, we should have assumed that because it was a different edition. Edition, yeah. So, um, but I had to pull the player aside and say, "Hey, you know, this is the material from a different edition. 
um, I need you to change out one of your spells uh, because uh, between the editions, uh, certain things were toned down into the next edition to make it yeah. more balanced. And, and to be fair, just so our listeners know, because not, not all listeners would know this, but uh, third edition to 3.5, uh, they're more or less the same edition. They just, third, three, third edition... It's kind of all over the place it, with it, some it things. It was all over the place, and it, it lacked definition mm-hmm. in a lot of its rules, and so they defined rules more clearly in 3.5. But the two systems are mostly compatible, and so there's a lot of crossover use of material. Just some of it doesn't work between the editions. And so uh, for those of you playing 3.5, always ask your DM if 3.0 material is allowed. Yes. And in certain instances, certain things might be allowed. But others others just, I mean... Heartache as a spell? Absolutely not. Where, whereas you allow me to use Dance of Ruin. Which, Dance of Ruin, it's mm. the reason that it's allowable is because it can either be really awesome or it can be crap. You could roll two ones and then... I, I, I could deal two damage or I could deal 40. Yeah. Like it's, it's, a, it's a massive gamble on that. Which, to be fair, we have a couple of players who, when they hit with their swords, are dealing 40 damage at this point. So it's not... It's not a ridiculous spell, especially since it costs a second-level spell slot. Yes. But, um, so, yeah, as long as it's up front, I think excluding material is fine, unless said material is severely messing with the game. Like, if the material is setting the campaign on fire... It, it needs to be looked Yeah, definitely. Um, Looks like we've really covered just about everything left yeah, th- on the I list we, today. Yeah, I think we covered everything from our pre-game overview section. Uh, I guess just looking over the points, is there anything about pre-game that you guys think we didn't cover, but that's important? Um... No, because most of it comes into our, kind of our next, what our Mm -hmm. next podcast is going to be about, and that's kind of the whole world building aspect. Um, You know, the DM should have that at least partially done before to have enough material to work with. I I, I do, I do, I'm tacking on to that. I think it's important for a pregame and giving expectations to the players is that the DM has enough of the world prepared that before the campaign starts, they can give an explanation. Uh, For example, uh, the campaign that I am preparing for the other podcast here at Misfortune's Corner, uh, I have already given the players a bit of an overview of what that world, or in this case, worlds, looks like. Um, I've given them the overview of what each of these environments looks like, and some rules surrounding those and so I think it's important to get details of that ironed out pre-game so that your players know what they're getting into. For example, uh, because I gave a pre-game overview of these worlds, Steve decided on what race he wanted to be and what world that character was going to be from and that provides a plethora of role play uh, opportunities for me to introduce to the party based on where he decided he's from and if I didn't provide that information up front I wouldn't have been able to open that door to that as far in terms of character creation so. I think my last word of advice as we're wrapping up would be be as thorough as you can be Get going into a campaign in your pregame. And, and I, I would agree, Just it's much easier to prepare as a DM and a player up front than it is to prepare while you're trying to prepare for the next session. And as you fall behind. And the, the more you have prepared up front, the much easier your job is going to be moving forward. And 
I completely agree with that. I try to have two or three sessions worth of material planned at all times, knowing that it may not go the way that I want to, but at least I've got material then that I can use as things come back into track. So I'm not scrambling to prepare every week for the next session. Yeah. Um, but I think that's all we have for this week. Uh, once again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I, I'm just going to go right ahead and assume that somebody's listening to this because it, it makes me feel good. We're, we're, just a, we're just three friends who enjoy talking about this kind of stuff. And so... And, it's something that we all are really passionate about, and I think that the fact that you're listening to a podcast about DMs kind of clues in that you're passionate about it too. I don't know any casual players that would sit and listen to DMs talk about stuff, but I hope moving forward that as we get requests from listeners that we can answer questions that you have about the game and we, we don't claim to be experts but I d- between the three of us I definitely think we have a good amount of experience we, we try our best yeah. and <laughs> so on but uh, on that note uh, for those of you listening that might have questions for us you can uh, send us our your questions or topics that you want discussed uh, you can send that to our Twitter account. Uh, you can tweet us at, um, at Miss Fourcore. Uh, that's capital M-I-S-F-O-R, capital C-O-R. Uh, or just look us up, Misfortune's Corner, on Twitter. Uh, same thing for Instagram. Or you can look us up, find our Facebook page. Um, this podcast, I'm not sure where you're currently listening to it, but will be on YouTube, as well as some uh, other podcast platforms platforms that we're going to be looking into, but in future episodes, we'll be sure to list out where those are from. But thank you so much for listening to Misfortune's Corner, uh, specifically Heads of House, and we hope to be speaking to you again.